Thank you, Kelly and Tom, for your music this morning, Scott, for your announcement, and uh, good morning to all of you. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church, and Communitas exists to love God, to love people, and to build disciples who are growing in their faith, who are walking in grace, uh, connecting with one another in groups, and who are uh, exploring what our gifts are so that we can generously serve uh, the greater Brainerd Lakes area and around the world. Uh, we have worshipped through gathering, just our very, the, there's the coming together uh, and, and being in the midst of one another, um, sharing our lives with one another is an act of worship. We also worship uh, through singing, the proclamation, you know, just singing about who God is and what he's done. And, and, it, and, and it gets us thinking because, you know, words and, and thoughts kind of inform the way that, that we operate and how we feel. And, and so these words that we sing uh, help us in that unity, help us to understand more about who God is. And it even gets us moving and breathing and thinking in similar fashions. And uh, we, we've worshipped through the giving of, of tithes and our offerings, um, just offering up our and, and acknowledging that we are stewards of what God has given us. And we've also, uh, we will worship uh, through listening to the proclamation of God's word and, and the preaching of those words. And then, but before we do that, we worship through communion. And we practice here what is called open communion. Uh, so we, you, don't, you don't have to be a member of Communitas to participate in this meal with us. Uh, we just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus. And so what's, and this meal, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, we call it a meal, but when you look at it, uh, from my perspective, I think I could probably eat all of that and all of that, and I'd still have room for lunch. But it's a meal that we're all going to share together. And so it gets me thinking, what's, what's unique about this meal? Well, we, we've got some, some grape juice. Nothing horribly unique about that. It comes in a large 96-ounce jug from Costco. Uh, we've got some crackers. Um, you know, they're... They're yellow. Uh, they don't have any gluten in them. But why? Like why? So why is that part of our of our service? Well, as as Kelly's saying, uh, in in this seri- this this season of Advent, we start to think about how we're we're bound together. We've sung songs about about unity. And what's interesting about this meal is, and if you look around this room, you'll notice that. There's a lot of different types of folks here, aren't there? And we're coming in in all various seasons of life. We've all been through different sorts of weeks, different sorts of experiences. Some of us are in the midst of great joys. Some of us in the midst of great trial. And there aren't very many places in the world where, where we can go and, and what unifies us um, you know, isn't necessarily our, our hobbies or different things that we're into, or different types of food, or or whatever, but Christ. And ultimately, it is what Christ, it is Christ who who brings us together. And His Spirit within us that binds us together, creates us of, of one heart. And so we celebrate this meal for that purpose. To remember who God is and what He's done for us. And his sacrifice brings us together as we're able to walk in wholeness with him, bound in unity first with him, and then as a result, 
to one another. And so what's unique about this meal is that it, it reminds us that we're with the Lord and we're with one another. So our participation in this meal is twofold. One, it's kind of a, a reaffirmation to the Lord saying, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. Not just a little bit. I'm all in. You are all in with your life. I am all in with all of my life. And then it's a message to the rest of us that are in this room that says, I'm all in with you. You're not alone because we're here together. And we take this meal with others who are taking this meal around the world. And we join in this great Christian hope, this great Christian movement of the church that seeks to bring the Lord's kingdom and his salvation here to this present moment, to this present world that is so lost and dying and in need of his mercy and his grace. And so as we prepare for that, we're going to take some time and, and we're just going to, we're going to think about who is God and what has he done? And who is Jesus and how has his life influenced and changed my life? And who is the Holy Spirit and how is the Holy Spirit working within me? Now, in a group this large, I'm not so naive as to believe that there are people in here who are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you are in a good place, and we are glad that you're here. And these are good people for, whom you, for, for you to be around. And so, if that's you, just take this time to think about who God might be. And to open yourself up to the possibility that that Jesus truly brings salvation, that the Holy Spirit can work in your life. And just take a few moments to ponder what that might look like. And so we're going to take a few moments. And, and parents, I'll leave this up to you as to whether it's acceptable for your kids to participate in this meal with us. And so we're going to take some time. Just who is God and what has he done? Who is Jesus and how has he lived? And who is the Holy Spirit and how is the Holy Spirit working in my life that I might be able to live a life more like Jesus's? And as you're ready, come on forward, grab the elements that we've set out to the right or to the left, and then bring them back to your seat. And then I'll read some words from Scripture, and we'll all participate in the meal together. And if you look around, you may have also noticed that uh, we have some old people, and we also have some younger people, and we have some very young people that are going to, they might make some noise, like my daughter is doing right now, and that is okay. Uh, Little people make noise, and that will not stymie the Holy Spirit. And so if you pray with me, we'll enter into the time of silence. And as you're ready, come up and grab the elements and bring them back to your seat, and we'll all partake together. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of these people. And Jesus, we thank you for this meal that you've left with us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that in this time, you would help to quiet our minds and steady our hearts, that we could hear from you. There's so much noise and distraction, both internally and externally, Lord, and we just pray that amidst that we would hear your still soft voice and that we'd be able to further walk in obedience with you. In a rented room the last time he was with his friends, Jesus took a meal that was supposed to uh, call to mind what God had done in the past and, and, and rewrites the script so that we'll continually remind people not only of the past, but of the present and the future, and of who they are and who they are in Christ. 
So he takes the bread and blesses it and gives it to the disciples and says, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you for this covenant and for your forgiveness of our sins. We know that it is not something that we do on our own, but it's something that you have done through your life, death, and resurrection. Okay, at this time, there are some blue buckets that are going to make their way around the room. Feel free to throw those uh, plastic cups in there, and we will dispose of them for you. Uh, At this time, we'll have our readers come up to read the Scripture verses for the day. Uh, so we're in the season of Advent, and this is the, the period in the church calendar leading up to Christmas uh, where we, we, there's this expectation, there's this building of this anticipation of Christ's coming. And so we, we read about hope in crisis, peace in the midst of calamity, joy in the midst of concern, and then today we'll be reading about love in the midst of a cold world. So we'll be reading out of Psalm 80. If you care to follow along, uh, we've got four different readings. I'll give you all of those now, but uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. So as I'm going through and you're going, I can't keep up with that. Don't worry, you don't have to. They'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, We'll be in Psalm 80, which is in the middle of the Bible. And uh, if you kind of flip, if you have a paper Bible and want to flip there, kind of in the middle, I will also be in Micah which uh, is, he's one of, the, um, one of the minor prophets. Uh, and if you keep flipping from psalm, psalms to your right a ways, you'll get into some, some little names. And, uh, and he's right after Jonah. Um, and then we'll also be in the book of Luke, which is a New Testament gospel writer. And, uh, and then if you keep flipping a few more to the right after that, you'll get through some of Paul's letters and we'll be in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Um, if none of those are preferable options and you want to take out your mobile device, feel free to tap, swipe, do whatever else that you need to do to get there. But as I said, the words will be on the screen behind us and uh, we have our readers go ahead and read and away we'll go. Sue, if you want to start us off. Yeah. I'll be reading Psalm 80, 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock, You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. I will be reading from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time 
when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. I'll be doing Luke 1, 39 to 55. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. I'm reading Hebrews 10, uh, 5 through 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. Thank you, Sue and Julie and Seth and Katie for reading. And thank you, Lord, for your word and how it's been preserved throughout the ages and uh, that we're able to read it and speak about it freely here today. And we pray for the churches around the world where that is not the case and pray that we would work uh, toward the alleviation of that burden. Okay, kids, at this time, you can head on out this direction. If you are four and above, remember that uh, Lonnie and Sandy have a, uh, a special treat for you, so you'll be going to a different classroom today. You'll be taking a right once you get out there. Um, and the rest of you will all go hang out with Miss Megan back in the nursery. And so, Lord, we thank you for Lonnie and for Sandy and for Megan and their willingness to uh, disciple these kids. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these children that you've brought 
here to us. We pray that as adults we would be models of what it is to grow uh, in holiness and, and model what it is to walk in, in a mature, obedient faith uh, with you. So I, uh, I went to the DMV one time, where in the town I was living, and uh, just got in this vehicle, paid my tabs, whatever else, and um, I'm looking over the receipt, and I noticed that it has a, a wheelage tax in a county that I, I wasn't living. And, uh, and so I, you know, I you know, go back to the clerk, and I'm like, hey, you know, you charged me for this wheelage tax, and, uh, you know, in this county, and we're not in that county right now, and I don't live in that county, and I uh, don't have any plans on moving to that county or using that, this vehicle in that county. Uh, why am I being charged a wheelage tax? Oh, clerical error. Okay, cool. So we'll, we'll fix that, right? You know? Oh, we can't do that. Why? Why? Why not? Oh, you'll have to, you know, fill out this form, do all this thing, and whatever else. And I filled out the form, I sent it in, I waited, I got my money back. You know, it was, it was not that big of a deal. But in the moment, like, it, it conjured up this thing in me where I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why? And, and I was very grateful, though, because, I mean, had they just said, oh, you're out of luck, sorry, move on with life, what, what could I have done? I, I could have, you know, appealed to... To other powers in, in this country, I could have just continued on up the line. I, I could go online, look up who my represent uh, my representative was. I could have called them, you know, whatever else. You know, so the, the so this tension or whatever would have been relieved, you know, because what's kind of nice about this country is that it's it's not like we you know like the rulers don't look out with a telescope to try to find us, right? Like we're we're pretty like we're accessible to one another. When the psalmist writes, it's from a very different vantage point. We hear about um, you know, these Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh. These, these were all kind of the, the ruling clans of the various clans. And, and, we, and we hear this, this word, right? So, um, and the, Israel at the time had been pretty, pretty well unprotected. They'd been kind of kicked around for a while. And so this term shepherd of Israel, if we can get microscopic real quick, this term shepherd of Israel that's, that's used in, in the psalm passage today in, in Psalm 80, that's, a, that's unique to that psalm. Nowhere else is, is, that, is that title given. And so it starts to conjure up kind of some images of, of who God is. And, and not just, not just a, a military king, but a shepherding king, one that you know, sets a hedge. And so a shepherd in the Old Testament would, would put up these, this wall around its flock to protect them. And, you know, so much like we would around a garden today to kind of keep animals out, you, know, you, you put a fence around it so that, that things that have been planted in there can grow. And so that was what the shepherd would do, is it would put this, this fence around so that it that that which was living in there could grow. And so it isn't just a leader, but it's a certain kind of leader that doesn't just look out for their own interests, but for the interests of those around them. And then we read about Micah. And this is a pretty, if you're into, uh, you know, if 
if you're if you're into kind of apologetics, you might look at this as a in, in you might read the Micah passage for today and talk about how you know Isaiah predicts this virgin birth, and in Micah we we see this prediction of the village birth, the very place where Jesus would be born. And one thing with with prophecy, if we can just talk about just kind of general Bible interpretation, or as you're reading through the scriptures, how to think about what we're reading. When we read the prophets, especially in this passage here, uh, there's. Two things that, to remember, if, you want, if you're a note taker and you want to write these down, I'm going to give you two words. They both start with F. That makes it very helpful. Alliteration is handy. There's foretelling and there's forthtelling. And so Micah, the prophet, he's kind of this country prophet, right? So he wrote about the same time as Isaiah. So Micah gets this little book. Isaiah gets one of the biggest books in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, uh, he would have lived kind of in, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And I would like to say that Micah lived kind of in a more like Brainerd type area, but Brainerd would be a little bit too cosmopolitan even for Micah. Uh, I don't know like what you consider to kind of be the, the end of the earth as far as uh, Minnesota, northern Minnesota goes, but that's kind of where Micah would have been hanging out. Uh, he was more of a kind of a country bumpkin. And, um, and so what he's writing in that passage is, is not so much uh, just a, a prediction for the future, but it's also very forth-telling. So foretelling, forth-telling. And so it isn't just about to foretell the future, but it's also forth-telling about what is to be happening presently. Uh, there's a quote I really like by a, a theologian named Warren Wearsby who says, whenever a prophet foretold the future, it was to awaken the people to their responsibilities in the present. Bible prophecy is an entertainment for the curious. It's encouragement for the serious. So whenever a prophet foretold the future, it was to awaken the people to their responsibilities in the present. Not just entertainment for the curious, but encouragement for the serious. And so uh, things between Psalm 80 and, and Micah 5 um, this guy David came around. We've talked about David when we've talked about the period of kings when we went through casket empty. Um, and, and Micah isn't quite to the exile yet, but things are about to go downhill pretty quick over the next 200 years for his country. And you can already see the foundations are beginning to crack. You can already see that things are not going to go well in his country. And so, and so he's, he's telling people, hey, wake up. And he speaks about the presence of the Lord in a way that isn't just for the future, but it's for that very moment. And as when we start to see that it is not only a foretelling, but also a forthtelling, this also brings hope because if the Lord's presence was there in the 8th century B.C., that means that it was also there in the 1st century B.C. in the town of Bethlehem, and it also means that his presence is here in the latter part of 2018 at 824 Laurel Street and wherever you all reside. And so it begins to break down this idea that salvation is merely a future experience and starts to waken us up to the fact that salvation is a present experience. And so in the midst of our joy and in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our great exuberation. Salvation is near. 
And so I love it because like the story is, you know, sometimes we, we put this chasm between the Old and the New Testament and, and it's not there. And we see that there's, there's a story. And so from the beginning of time, God has been working this salvation through his people and throughout his story. And so by the time we, we hit Mary, uh, like, so there's, there's three characters that Seth read about in, in Luke chapter 1. We've got Zephaniah, his wife Elizabeth, and uh, her cousin Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And now they would have been, and they're hanging out uh, in in Nazareth in this in this region. And not too far from Nazareth, there had been this town that, um, you know, when we talked about expectations, we talked about Caesar Augustus, and we talked about some of the Roman persecution. We talked about uh, some of the different things that are going on, and uh, we talked about how my little duel with the state of Minnesota for a moment to get my wheelage tax back. So. That would have that was like small potato. That is small potatoes, like just generally. But that would have been even more small potatoes to the experience of of Mary and Elizabeth and Zephaniah. Because when they're thinking about, you know, when Mary says, "My soul magnifies the Lord," and she talks about the presence of the Lord and the way that the Lord had remembered His people for all time. It isn't just, oh, hey, things are going really great. Like, this isn't Mary saying, hey, check it out. My pregnancy is going exactly how I wanted, and my life is just panning out the way that I dreamed, right? Because she's unmarried, which was a pretty big social faux pas back in the day. But then also for her people, and around that time, they'd been suffering under Roman persecution. And, and about four miles away, the town that, uh, that where they had spent some time uh, just years previous had been totally sacked and run over by a Syrian legion sent out by the Roman governor in that area. And so I want you to just, you know, imagine if, if a town maybe four miles away from where you were living that was kind of a big deal, sort of a, you know, kind of a county seat, if you will. Like, imagine if, if Brainerd had just been leveled by the governing authorities of the area. Might that have a little bit different or have a bit of an impact on how you grew up, on how you thought about the world, how you thought about salvation? Would you start to think that salvation being in the present, not a future existence, might actually be a good, a good idea? Might the Messiah that you'd be looking for be a Messiah who brings hope, joy, peace, and love in the present moment, not in the future moment? And might you rejoice over such a Messiah? And so I love that that Mary you know, sings this song and makes this proclamation, and she and Elizabeth have this dialogue where they talk about you know, the Lord coming, the Messiah being here. At the time, there was this guy named, C- as I mentioned, Caesar Augustus. So his title, part of it would have been you know, Caesar, Son of the Divine One. So you'd think that, I mean, the guy that kind of rules the known world at the time, like, would you need permission to really, you know, if you wanted to rule, might you need to get his blessing or his authority? Yeah, maybe. What does it begin to speak to us about God when Jesus doesn't ask for God, for, for Caesar's authority to rule and to bring salvation and to bring hope for all people, not just for Romans, not just for those that found themselves in the favor of the court, but for all people. So Mary pronounces that salvation is here despite external circumstances. And she says, my soul will magnify the Lord. 
There's two different ways we can magnify things, aren't there? We can, uh, it's anybody taking a biology class, use a microscope, you make a, a very small thing look very big. You can also have a telescope, right? You can see things that are, are very big, but they're very far away, so they appear small, so you get something that makes something very big appear as big as it is. And so when Mary says, my soul magnify the Lord, she's saying, I'm not going to make a small God look big, I'm going to make a big God come near. Here. In a world which is suffering from cold indifference, the warmth of the Messiah comes near. And so why does this matter? Why is, why is any of this important? Well, because salvation is here. In the midst of our turmoil, in the midst of our strife, we're not alone. And so there's a lot of different forms of salvation that, that we can choose from, aren't there? And you can continue to choose those, but you may notice that they're not working very well. Or they haven't worked. Because we've been created for a salvation from the Lord. We've been created with Jesus as our Messiah. If you have a vehicle that doesn't start very well in the wintertime and you bring it to the mechanic and, it, and they fix it and then they give it back to you but it doesn't work and you bring it back and they fix it and they give it back to you but it doesn't work, like, what, would you, what would you say? Like, Maybe it's time for a new mechanic. Yet so often that's what we do with our lives. We keep looking for answers in all these various places. It doesn't work. Why? Because we weren't created to find answers in the wrong places. We were created to find answers in the right places. And so God has been, and, and so this notion that, um, it, and, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout all of Scripture. When Mary talks about, you know, this reminder of, of Abraham and, and the promises and for all people, this harkens us back to when we talked about Abraham in the very beginning of, of the Scriptures and we see the way that God is working through His people and, and through creation to bring all of His people to Himself. And what I love about this, this shepherd of, you know, the story of the shepherd, right? So we've we got this wall that the shepherd puts around to kind of guard what's inside so it grows. And if you remember when we, when we did casket empty and we got to into the, the part of yet to come, remember how the, the walls of the new city were so big that it wasn't that we were going to need like a new yard, we were going to need a new planet, right? It was going to be pretty big. And so the salvation that Jesus is offering continues to push back against the gates of hell and expand the walls of his kingdom, bringing more and more and more and more people into a present Salvation, not for something that is waiting off in the distance, but in the cold and indifferent world, brings the love of his salvation here. Not that we see a small God be made big, but we have a big God who comes near. Not a microscope, but a telescope to magnify the Lord. And so I love that the passage that we get to read from Hebrews today opens with, consequently, Christ came into the world. Consequently, Christ came into the world. So when, I, when you read the word consequently, that's one of those um, kind of transitional phrases or whatever. And so before then, the writer is talking about there's this old way of being. 
There was this old law, this way that the people had to do certain things or to act a certain way or they had to, you know, whatever, all these different kind of hoops that you had to jump through. And, and whether it was the ancient people or of God or if it, whether it's, you know, even within today we see the various places that we try to, try to do something to measure up or we, we act in a certain way because we're, you know, we're, we're not whole. And so we, it comes out in our relationships and the way that we work with other people and the way that we don't work in the way that... Um, just kind of in all the different ways that we function, we're trying to, to keep it all together and to maintain. And the author of Hebrews says, consequently, because that was a, a shallow shell, because it didn't quite work, consequently, Christ came into the world. And so as we wait in expectation for the coming and the celebration of Jesus' birth, we remember that salvation was brought them. Salvation, salvation was offered there in that present moment, not to be waited for for the future. Something that has been planned from the beginning of time. And if we continue to search what we don't find, we see that Micah tells us that, no, it's, it's here. It's been here the whole time. Salvation, relief, deep, unstealable joy comes only when the Messiah reigns. And so this begs the question, are we living out of this truth? We celebrated communion earlier as, as both a meal of, of remembrance, but not just the remembrance of something that is, is past, but the remembrance about something which is future, or which is present, but also dictates our future and informs us about who God is and what he's done and about who we are and what we are to do. And so as we think about our life, where are we trying to measure up? Where are the areas in our life that we're, we're trying to jump through various hoops to, maybe it's to compensate for something that we don't feel that we have. Or maybe it's to make up for something that we've done. And what does it look like to, to repent and place all the cards on the table and to walk in obedience? To understand that we are broken and lost without the Lord and when the Messiah rules and reigns in our life, that that is when we will know salvation. That is when we will know hope and peace enjoy and experience his love and then be able to offer that to others. Sometimes, and the author of Hebrews alludes to this, we strive for obedience without repentance. Right? This is the, like, not that this is pervasive or alive and well anywhere in northern Minnesota, right? We've never heard anybody or, or thought to ourselves, like, I've been doing good things for people, right? Like, isn't that enough? I've been trying really hard. I've been trying to be a good person. I've been trying to do good things. I've been, you know, I've been trying. See, that's about us. And the Lord said, yeah, like, it's, it's not about you. You've done enough. Let me take over. I've already done. You don't need to do so he calls us to repent and to walk in obedience and offer salvation and wholeness. And so what is it going to look like for us to magnify the Lord? In our lives, each and every day, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school, as we think back throughout the moments of our week and the different places where we go, and you look on your planner and you're going, okay, where, 
Where, where was I this, the past few days? Where will I be over the next couple days? What is it going to look like? And imagine, imagine if we, the church, both here communitas and the, and the church around the world, what would it look like if we were to be the telescope for God that would make a very big God look very big? How would that begin to inform the way that we live? How would that begin to inform the way that we treat others? and the way that we approach the throne. Because this, this old system, this kind of weird karma-like, oh, I, I did this, therefore I get this system, that needs to go. Because there is no salvation in that. There's no hope in that. There's just constant, you know, my effort, my effort, my effort. Because Jesus didn't go unthinkingly to the cross like some dumb animal. He went to the cross. He, he, he came to the manger, lived his life, went to the cross, rose again as our Savior to, to offer a way that we might be able to approach the Lord. And so this week, I pray that we would remember that. That we would live from that. That our salvation is not a future hope, but a real hope that is here, that is now for this moment that Jesus is in our midst for the believer the Holy Spirit that is welling and moving inside of us is a real thing and that we have been made for growth we've been you know, we talked about that that Old Testament fence that we, we see that continually gets pushed out and 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 in the New Testament, we see the walls of this new city. We have been invited into that process. We've been invited to take part of, that salva- of the salvation story of the world. So in a world of cold indifference, we get to bring the love of Christ to a world which so desperately needs it. To press back against the gates of hell that seek to destroy the souls created in the image of God. And to offer hope and salvation in that present moment. And so if you're here and you're just going, gosh, yeah, I need that. Well, yeah, today's a great day for that. And so I'd encourage you to repent, to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then as we think about those of us who are doing that, do we, is that our lifestyle? Do we live a lifestyle of repentance? We talked about this last week, that it isn't just a one-time thing. Repentance is continual. It's a, it's a lifestyle. And how do we continue to repent and to obey and to bring that salvation to those around us? And so we think, who do we see at school, at work, in our various hobbies, around town, in our home, who need to know of this salvation? Are we praying for them? Are we repenting of the ways in which we have not magnified the Lord to them? And are we seeking to bring salvation here and now? And so if you're, if you're just struggling and you're, you're just trying to measure up, like we read, the psalmist offers us great hope and great joy that where is salvation? How long will we wait? Salvation is here. How long will we wait? Not long. Not long. So as the musicians come back up, 
Yes, you pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your presence here in our lives. And as we wait with expectation of, of your coming and we get to celebrate your birth here in a few days, Lord, you came to a world which was cold and indifferent toward your people, yet you offered love not just for your people, but for all people. And pray that we would walk in that, we would know that, we would remember that, and we would live that, and we would share that. So God, we thank you for these people that we're all able to gather together to know this, and we pray that we would demonstrate that to a lost and dying world and so desperately in need of your mercy. It's really fun to be the pastor here. And I'm very proud of all of you. We are a church that gathers and scatters, and I get to hear stories of the way that you bring salvation in a very present and real way to the people both in your midst and around the world. And so it is my hope and my prayer that you would continue to do that. And for those of you who find yourself in sorrow and in pain, you are in a good place around good people. And I pray that we would continue to come together around one another to be that salvation, to be that immediate presence for those in our midst. Go in peace. Have a great week. Join us for some simple carbohydrates that are available in the back and caffeinated beverages. We'll see you all uh, tomorrow at 4 o'clock for our Christmas Eve service. Go in peace.